Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to visit with friends that I can't see in person to learn something and to just uh, share that knowledge and information of my guests with others. Uh, it's been a really amazing journey, and this is, I think, number 105 or 106. Six. I'm not sure. 106. <laughs> Who thought I was going to do 106 webinars? Not me. Um, but the interesting thing is the information is so compelling and I think it's so important for us to realize that there are other options out there for the way we can work with our horses. And the more knowledge and understanding we have of the way the nervous system works, the better off we are in terms of being able to recognize signs and be able to address those in a positive way rather than simply saying, oh, my horse, he's just a butthead. Um, so when we can start to really understand what's behind that behavior in terms of neurologically, we can then recognize that we need to address the needs of the system rather than simply just trying to deal with the behaviors that are being exhibited. Um, I've had other guests on when we talk about the vagal response and um, the key thing that I'm safe, that's the number one thing that a horse wants to know. It's also the number one thing we want to know, mm -hmm. um, especially during this pandemic. But today my guest is Katherine Wyckoff, a dear friend, and she has been researching the connection of the vagal nerve and the trigeminal nerve in people. We got together a couple of weeks ago and started talking about, well, there must be a similar connection in horses. And of course, since we had Dr. Hillary Clayton on a few episodes ago, and she was talking about bridal fit in the trigeminal nerve, um, Catherine and I got really excited and she got into her books and into her research and, um, and put this webinar together. I think it's going to be uh, really fascinating because it's going to tie together a lot of the other webinars and and help make sense of it. So kind of like taking all the differentiation we've done on the different parts and really bringing it together and also bringing it home to ourselves because we operate under the same condition, the same system because we have these same nerves. So welcome, Catherine. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Um, yes, Catherine, I agree with Wendy. Yeah, um, go ahead. Just for those who don't know you, because there'll be some people that may not have met you before, can you give us a little bit of your background and how you wound up being so curious about vagal nerve? Yes, definitely. So the reason why this, this webinar is here today is for different reasons. First, I've had problems with my vagal nerve, so I've always been interested in that, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. In my background, I'm a physical therapist for humans, so I've studied the movement of human beings and the body of human beings. I'm a writer for since as long as I can remember, so I've learned how to make my body follow the movement of the horse. Then I'm also a physical therapy for horses. So I've learned how to see the movement in horses, but I also do hypotherapy, which means I use the movement of the horse to influence the movement in people, to treat people. And I am also a um, therapeutic riding instructor. So I can help folks that have disabilities or issues learn how to ride. So I've really looked at it from I think all the different ways you can look at it. So, well, and, um, and don't forget that you were the, the first person that I showed Surefoot to once I discovered it because you were there at Morven Park and I called you over because you were teaching and I said, you've got to see this. And so your horse was the third horse we ever put on Surefoot pads uh, eight years ago and you're a four-hoof uh, Surefoot practitioner, meaning you can train other people to use Surefoot in their practice. So That's I, right. And, and our connection is through the Feldenkrais method. We're both Feldenkrais practitioners right so that's how we got together when I came back in, when I came in 2007 as you can tell I'm originally from Belgium so I'm not uh, from the US um, 
I met people told me, oh, if you're a fellow Christ practitioner and you like horses, you have to meet Wendy. And I did have to meet Wendy. So we've been working together since 2007 on and off in different ways. And as we were discussing that the other day, Wendy said, stop, 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 stop. We need to put this online. This is too good. We were both getting very excited about it. So the we're difficulty in, when it comes to like this kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. I do love, I do love anatomy. Um, and so the reason why I was interested in the vagal nerve is that two, three years ago, I was in the middle of the workshop and I fainted. And so, and then I got up and I'm all fine. Don't worry. I'm not going to faint during this talk. I promise. But so it really got me to figure out, I went to see different doctors. They did all kinds of MRIs and everything. And the answer was, which I absolutely love is, oh, it's just a vagal fainting. And I was like, okay, well, how can I make sure that it doesn't happen again? Ah. So I decided to do a lot of research on the vagal tone. And then thinking back now, I realized that I also fainted was I was, when I was 18 years old, and I'll explain why to, during the presentation. And I also fainted as a baby. So I think my vagal nerve has been talking to me for years, and I didn't really realize what it was. I also recently, I mean, three years ago, got a new horse that you'll see Wendy will help, uh, help me with, who was in a shutdown mode. So I had to figure out what his vagal story was. So putting all these pieces together is really got me, it's one of those horses that got me to grow way more than I wanted to. So um, if you don't mind, let me share my screen if oh, I yeah, can. Yeah, I haven't made you a co-host. Let's just do yeah. that. Yeah, And so we're gonna get started. And so what is the story about the vagal nerve and what are we talking about? So basically in your nervous system, you all are familiar with the brain with the spinal cord we have muscles uh, we have nerves that go from the brain down the spinal cord and then go to all kinds of levels of the body some of them are used to feel things for sensation for touch for heat for cold right and some of them are used to get your muscles to work so we're talking about sensory nerve to feel and motor nerve for the for the muscles what we don't think about most of the time is what's happening in the background um, that keeps our body moving well. And so let's see, there we go. I'm gonna share this one. There we go. And I'm going to present. Okay, so that's the horse that really got me thinking. And thank goodness Wendy came with her Surefoot pads that day and that made a big difference in how I thought about this horse because I had no idea how to work with him. So, there's a part of the nervous system that's called the autonomic nervous system because it works independently. And it's the one that's responsible for keeping your temperature at the right level, keeping your heart rate, keeping everything working, the things that you don't know are happening, but they're happening in the background. So this is how it works. We have our environment, and I'm talking about the environment outside of the body and the environment inside of the body, the gut, the heart rate, the breathing your autonomic certain nervous system continuously monitors both the internal and the external environment. All that data comes in through the vagal nerve and other nerves we'll talk about. It's processed by your brain. And from that data, your brain decides whether you're safe, then you stay in, we'll discuss the, para, this is the parasympathetic nervous system. So things are calm, quiet, or you're not safe. If you're not safe, you have two options. You can fight or flight. If you cannot fight or flight, you have another option, which is to freeze. 
So we'll play with all these. So the parasympathetic nervous system. Character, can I ask one question? Is where's the faint? Is the faint over there with the freeze? It's in the freeze. It's in the freeze. Thank you. Okay. It's in the freeze. Yep. So the parasympathetic nervous system works to keep you safe, but it also brings you into the freezer faint. And we'll talk about it in a second. The sympathetic nervous system is more the fight or flight. Um, and I had one more thing I wanted to say. It'll come back to me in a minute. Oh, yes. So Wendy has had three webinars with uh, Violet Van Hayes that talked also about the, um, the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system. And she focused more on the external environment, on what the rider can provide, the external environment for the horse, and how you can make that great. So I'm not going to go over that. Um, I'll just mention it maybe here and there, but let's focus really on what's happening from the inside um, through the vagal nerve. So this is two thirds of the autonomic nervous system. So don't worry about the details about this. What's very interesting is this, is that on the right side here, you have the parasympathetic nervous system. And as you can see, it's composed of three, these three things here. Let me move, but I can't see what I'm doing. Okay. The um, cranial nerve number three, number seven, and number nine are part of the parasympathetic nervous system. We'll talk about them in a minute. So you've got those three cranial nerves, and then you've got this huge thing here, which is the vagal nerve. You can say vagal or vagus, depending on how you want to say it. So you'll hear me say both. The vagal nerve, as you can see, goes to a lot of organs. So what is important to realize is that all these nerves go both ways. They monitor things, they gather data from things, but then they also send command to the different organs. So it's really a constant two-way system of making sure everything stays within range. And as if you look on the left side of this picture, that's the sympathetic nervous system. And as you can see at each organ, you have one parasympathetic and one sympathetic. So it's really the parasympathetic, if you, if you think about it in terms of a car or a vehicle, the parasympathetic would be the brake and the sympathetic would be the accelerator. So if you have to go uphill, you're going to use more accelerator, less brake. If you have to go downhill, you're going to lose less accelerator, more brain to keep your speed the same. So it's the same with the organs at all time. They're constantly monitored so that they stay within whatever their range is and modulated constantly by the sympathetic or parasympathetic system. So Catherine, this is a really, can we go back to that diagram for a second? Cause uh -huh. there's so much in here. So it looks yeah, to oh, yeah. me like our parasympathetic nervous system is largely coming off of the spine at the cranial and then at the caudal down in the pelvic Correct. region. So when All we're right. thinking about a horse, we're going to be, and we think about Julian Kreinbring's uh, webinar the other day, she was talking about the atlanto-occipital joint and the, and the atlas axis joint and then of course all our craniosacral people talk about cranial sacral those two connections but when we look at the sympathetic that's all the thoracic area that's what our saddle goes on that's where our rider weight is that, that well, look on the look on the left side though i mean it's at every level right right it goes to the pelvic floor the lower level so but definitely yes Definitely. That's where the saddle's on. And we'll talk about the saddle fit in a minute too, as it affects on, because it affects the parasympathetic too, because um, 
you know, below the lungs, here they didn't put the diaphragm here, but the diaphragm is a big, we'll talk about it in a minute. And we're sitting on a horse's diaphragms, right? So, or close to it, close to the wrist, but attached to it. So, right. definitely, yes. So you'll see, when I saw this, as you said, after, after that web webinar, I thought to myself, okay, I have to look at the research because there must be a link. There's no way there cannot be a link. And the vagal nerve is just, it's so connecting to all these organs, primarily, like it's one t entire nerve that's connecting to all these organs, mm -hmm. whereas the others seems to have all these mm, branches coming off through the thoracic area going the, to the celiac ganglia um, and that sort of thing. But there's, uh, I don't know, is it fair to say there's more direct connections from the different vertebrae to the organs in the sympathetic side and just largely vagus? on the and the pelvic nerve on the I think that makes sense yeah and we and, and it's very important I, I I like your question it's very important not to get hung up on the anatomy of the nerve because this is a very reduced schematic description of that nerve our nerves have tons of branches and you'll see later on I have a picture uh, um, an illustration that's closer to what it looks like. And there's a lot more branches of the nerves. And we were talking about that the other day. We could, again, if you use the car analogy, the vagus nerve is the interstate, right? It's the big, big road, but then you have the state roads and then you have the, and you go down to the gravel roads, right? It's the same, a nerve is not just one simple nerve. It has a lot of different things. and horses and humans have quite a few anatomical variations. So you never, this is like the typical logical thing, but horses and people are different. And we do get restructured as we, with the unplanned dismounts and stuff like yeah, that. Exactly. So there's a the variation in our structure. So it's fair to say that these, these highways, these major nerves are going down and they're becoming, if, or you could think like rivulets, they're becoming finer and finer, little tiny mm -hmm. uh, flows out to um, um, a very diffuse area, but they come back to the central highway. Correct, correct. They all go back the same way. So the parasympathetic nervous system is the calming, the slowing down. So as you've seen in the picture before, the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system work on the blood pressure, heart, lungs, all the digestive system, diaphragm. So they can, they can receive information and affect change in any of those organs. So the parasympathetic nervous system decreases the heart rate, it decreases the breathing rate, it decreases the blood pressure, and the blood is sent to the gut for digestion. That's, so the parasympathetic nervous system is when you're safe, your body doesn't have to worry about anything on the outside. So it supports health, it supports recovery, rest, play, creativity, digestion, intimacy. That's when you reproduce, right? You don't reproduce when you have a tiger running after you, right? But it also is very important for emotional regulation. It's when you're able to learn. And we talk a lot about that with horses. And that's what Violet talked about in her webinar, the importance of being in a safe place if you want to teach your horse something, if you want your horse to learn. Also, what's very important to me, what's very interesting is that when you're in parasympathetic mode, you enjoy social engagement and you're able to hold eye contact. 
because of my work with children who have issues like autism or different kind of sensory issues, a lot of those kids just cannot do eye contact. For them, it's the same as if you pierce their, pierce their eyes with a knife. It is just the body cannot stand that. And that's a very um, interesting thing. You know, when you say, look, look at people in the eyes, be polite. For some people, it's just not an option. And so maybe for some horses too, I don't know. I've never talked to horses. But that part of the parasympathetic nervous system that we use when we're safe is the central, the ventral part of the nerve, which is myelated. So nerves have a sheath around them that's made of a lipid substance that's called myelin. And so if you, if you compare it to an electrical wire, you know that if there's a, a rubber, a plastic cover over the electrical wire, it conducts electricity better. When you don't have that protection, more electricity gets lost, right? So when a nerve is myelated, it's a little bit faster and more efficient in general. Now, if you are in an unsafe environment, and if you're not able to flight or to fight, to flee or to fight, right? Then you have the option of freezing or fainting. Then the brake goes down so low that it actually stops you from functioning. And so that's a more primitive system, an older system. It's not myelated, so it's a little bit less refined. And it brings the body into that freeze, shutdown, collapse system. So for a horse, it may look fairly calm. But if you were to check the stress hormones inside of the horse, it would be through the roof. I mean, they're really inundated in stress to the point where they have to shut down. So that's yes. the parasite. Yeah. And well, I was just going to say, and we did a webinar with Laura Plunkett, and we talked about the shutdown horse. And so how can you recognize that? So if anyone is wanting to see examples of what that looks like, I highly recommend you go back and watch Laura Plunkett's webinar on the shutdown horse. Um, and anybody who's seen my webinar that I did with Linda, and we showed the horse that was laying on the ground when I did Surefoot with that horse when I showed Linda Surefoot six years ago, um, both she and I believe that the horse fainted. Um, that the shift in the nervous system was uh, so rapid that he just fainted. Um, it's the only explanation, and I've only ever had that happen with that one horse, of course. Um, but anybody who's seen that webinar and you're wondering about faint, that would be right in here with the unable to fight flight and then faint. <laughs> yep, yep, definitely. Definitely. So this is, I can talk then from my personal perspective for somebody who fainted. Um, it turns out that I have a very, very sensitive pharynx. I don't know why, but if something touches my throat, I sometimes faint. So what happened the day I fainted, I was in a workshop and I was, the person was talking, we were all listening, and I was trying not to cough, to not disrupt the whole workshop. So I was in a situation where I was trying not to cough and I was not allowing myself to get up and move to do the coughing, right? So it's really that unable to fight or to flee right? So what my body did then, just decided, okay, let's just faint, then we'll solve the problem. So in this case, what's important is that it doesn't have to be terribly unsafe. I was not thinking that people in the workshop will kill me or that I was really unsafe. It was just, I had a problem that I couldn't fix if you want. And so that's, what, that's the solution that my body decided to, to take. Well, and I think as you go forward in your webinar and talk a little more about the connection with 
trigeminal and vagal nerve will understand it a little more clearly. And I think in that, that horse's case, he was not showing distress or trying to run away in any way, mm -hmm. shape or form, but it was just, uh, the nervous system was overwhelmed, I think. It overwhelmed the system, exactly. Yep. That's what it is. Too big a change can do that, right? Yep. So now let's talk about the other part, one of the other parts of the sympathetic nervous system which is uh, of the autonomic nervous system. It's the sympathetic nervous system. So it's the opposite. It's the arousal, the action, the acceleration. So right now I'm definitely in sympathetic because I'm talking to you all. Um, the advantage of the sympathetic, your heart rate increases a little bit. The breathing rate increases. The blood pressure increases. You have sharper sight, sharper hearing. So it kind of preps you for action. So there's something good about that. If you're safe, your sympathetic nervous system just gets you ready for action, for doing, for movement, right? It also brings the blood to the muscles and to the essential organs. You're ready to, to move. It's the movement part. Now, if you're in an unsafe environment, it prepares you for fight or flight. So it's like you rev the accelerator up. The sympathetic nervous system is also what helps you to wake up in the morning, right? You go down really low at night, you become paralyzed, and then it wakes you up in the morning. So that's the arousal part. So again, it's not, neither of those are an on-off situation. So it's somebody's asked a question. I think this is the right place oh, to, to put it in. So is it always a dualistic safe or not safe, or is there some subtleties? I've heard that we need some sympathetic to express curiosity and interest, et cetera. That's right. That's right. That's exactly what I'm saying. So when you're safe, uh, within the safe zone, you can, you have a mix of both. That's right. And so right now I'm in good sympathetic because I'm excited. I'm happy to be with Wendy and I'm talking to people. And so that's the good part of the sympathetic nerve, right? I'm not falling asleep and I'm not in my, I have access to my brain, some of it anyway. And you know, so that, that's the fun part of sympathetic. You're right. So the ideal is at all times to find what works for you, what balance of the two, and it changes by the minute. We'll talk about the receptors in a second. You'll see it's, it's just complex, precise, and absolutely amazing. Right. And, so if you're um, not safe. Right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and, and Violet Van Hees had a really nice diagram of we're kind of in this sine wave of sympathetic, parasympathetic. That's right. And within our range, right. in that range of, of, uh, good, healthy or good is that we're we're constantly kind of flowing along it's when we have these spikes either high or low the outside of that range that's when we get in trouble um i have yes. another question here let me just ask it now uh -huh. um uh, someone has written that I've been doing Qigong for uh, the last year. Apparently, the ancient practice apparently stimulates the making of new connections in the PNS. This also had a very positive influence on the interaction with my mayor. Is there a way in which you can stimulate the making of new connections of the parasympathetic nervous system of a horse? And she's asking about Surefoot. Okay, so if you don't mind, do keep that in mind because we're going to talk about that at the end. I'm doing, now this is like a quick anatomy, just a review of how it works, but then we're really going to the nitty-gritty of how can we apply it to people, to horses, and how, what we can do already. Okay. So if not safe, that's when, you know, the aggression, the dog that's barking at you, the defensive strategies, the fight or flight, that's, that's the, when, when the accelerator is too loud, too much, right? Okay. Okay. Can I ask so one more question that someone's asked? Just to, yes. And mm -hmm. okay. So someone said, "Can you do blood work on a horse suspected of being shut down and check for stress hormones, hormone levels to give you a diagnostic tool?" Okay, I'm not a vet, so I cannot for sure answer 
that. But I would think that would be possible. But we have, you'll see later on that we have other ways to look at it. And let so me just, maybe, maybe those will help you. Well, let me just say that I was at the um, ISES, the International Society for Equitation Science in 2019. And while you can take blood work to measure, it's, it's really not something that's very practical or usable in everyday life. And they've actually found that there's a, um, eye blinking was a much better indicator of stress than cortisol levels, heart rate, or heart rate variation. So there's been some research done in terms of how can we easily tell. Um, mm -hmm. And so cortisol levels is not an easy way. And to get, you know, if you're either having to do take blood, you have to take it at the moment, which is not easy. And they were I trying was to use say, it fluctuates, right? It we're, never, we're not the same from one minute to the next. Right. So all you know is the cortisol level when the blood was taken. You don't right. know if it was the same way five minutes later, right? Yep. Good. And so there's a third part of the autonomic nervous system that we don't talk about much, but I'll mention it here just so that you know. It's the enteric nervous system. It's, you, you've heard of another brain in your gut, right? There's so much nervous tissue in your gut. Thank goodness, because just the digestions of what we eat and the amount of enzymes that need to be put in the bowel at what moment, you, would, you do need a second brain to do it, right? So the advantage of that um, is that it's autonomic, it's independent, but it can be modulated by the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, and the parasympathetic through the vagal nerve. The vagal nerve has been called the gut-brain axis, because it's really a highway that goes from the gut to the brain, right? So um, what was interesting, though, is that in some studies, they cut the vagal nerve, and then the enteric nervous system still functions. And it used to be that if you had too much um, acid in your stomach, one of the treatment was a vagotomy, where they went and they cut part of your vagal nerve, yes, believe it or not, so that you would have less acid in your stomach. So, um, but, and then they figured out that the, nerve, the enteric nervous system then just takes over. And it's still, you still survive. Glad they figured that out, so they stopped cutting vagal nerves. Yes, yes. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the cranial nerves. So there's 12 pairs of cranial nerves. So remember, there's one on each side, right? I'm going to say the number, but there's one on each side, which, you know, think about it later on when we talk about. And I'm not going to go into details with all the nerves, but I'm going to talk about the three that are part of the parasympathetic system and the trigeminal nerve. Because with horses, the nerves that innervate the face with all the stuff we put on their faces all the time, it's important to know what we're doing, right? So this is a human brain, and on the left, you're looking at the bottom of the brain. That big convoluted thing is, is the brain itself, and then at the bottom, you have the brain stem. So they come out from the bottom of the brain at the base of the brain, the brain stem. That's where they come out. On the right side, you have um, a view of it from the side, as if you'd cut the brain stem. And so in the brain stem, you have those little they call it nuclei, which is where the nerve originates from, and then it comes out. So as you can see, the three nerves that are part of the parasympathetic nerve, on, in addition to the vagus nerve, are the third one, which is the ocular motor, which means it's the, um, the nerve that is responsible for um, talking to the muscles of the eyes. And then you have the number seven, that's right here which is the facial nerve. It's sensory and motor from the outside of your face. And you'll have a look at, we'll have a picture in a second. 
And then we have number nine, which is the glossopharyngeal. Glosso means tongue and pharynx, pharyngeal. So it innervates um, the vocal cords, the tongue, and the pharynx in the throat, right? And then right here, number 10. Where's number 10 on this one? I see 11 and 9. Hmm. Oh, right here. Number 10 here is the vagal nerve, which is the one who goes all the way down to the gut. So this is what it looks like on a horse. And I did that drawing. I'm very proud of it. I got I, my crayons on and I did the drawing. So the reason why the, 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 the lines that are broken, it means that's on the inside of the jaw of the horse. Okay, so we have the facial nerve here. So here you have the eye of the horse, right? You would have the nose here and the ear, the ear canal is here. So the ear would be up there. And then here you have where the first vertebra attaches. If you watch that, that, um, that webinar, that's where the first. And this is really the places where the vertebra articulate, the, the first one articulates with the cranium, these little articular facets there. So look, the vagal nerve comes right out of this. And then here you have the glossopharyngeal nerve, the one that goes to the throat and to the tongue. On the inside, the one with the little dots here, is the trigeminal, goes to the eyes, goes to the nose, and goes through all your teeth, and then all the way down there, right? On the inside of the jaw, on the outside of the jaw in black, you have the facial nerve. Again, this is something, I drew some lines. It's a lot more complex in real life, but that's basically where they go. So they provide both sensation and motor um, information to the muscles of the face, of the eyes. And so the facial nerve innervates the the muscles that produce the facial expression. Because you can tell what somebody's vagal tone is. You can tell if somebody's stressed by looking at their face, right? You look at their eyes, you look at, at, um, at the tension in their muscles. We can tell some of that. And I think we can learn to tell some of that about horses too. It's not as natural because it's not the same species. So it takes us a while, but if you look at the webinars that Wendy has done with uh, Sharon Wilsey, you can see that there's a lot that can be said by just looking at the horse's face, right? So it's a question of learning. Horses express emotion in their faces the same way we do. Not the same as much as we do, not the same way we do. All right, yeah, so, so, so to that end, you know, somebody's asking, how can you distinguish a shutdown horse due to vagal nerve problem versus bad training? There's no difference, right? I mean, if, it's, if, there's, uh, if the horse has been wired for protection because of abuse, it's the going to be the same as vagal tone that says, I'm not safe. It, you don't, they don't distinguish the cause right. of the problem it's the nervous system just is responding and reacting to the situation so there's really no difference there right Catherine? that's right and so just to, to again my personal experience there is that when my vagal nerve is not okay i'm anxious the same things that don't worry normally will worry me and so there's no base for it there's no reason for it it's just my body going into, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, based on the information that the vagal nerve is, is giving, 
um, the body. And again, hopefully a little bit later, you'll, it'll make more sense when we talk about more practical um, things happening. So remember, the, trige uh, the glossopharyngeal, the facial, and I forgot to put the ocular motor. There's the third one that's the ocular motor, which means it moves the muscles of the eyes, right? And it's also responsible for blinking, which is very important. So oh, that's wow, isn't that, the wow, that's cool. So yeah, this, yeah. the trigeminal, as it comes out of that little hole there uh, just above the, the nose bone, it, it is then on the surface. It's on the outside. Is that correct? On the inside. That's why you've got the little dots No, but there. I'm here at the, uh, below the eye, go straight down from the eye toward the, toward the mouth. You have, oh, there, there it comes out. Oh, this one, no, it's still behind it. It comes yeah, out of see, this hole here. It comes out of that hole. So then is it on the surface as it comes out of that yes, hole? Yes, 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 it is. And the same thing here, right? It becomes on the surface under the, the lower jaw. Right. And then there's a hole, and you may, may not be able to answer this for me, but there's a hole in the horse right in the yeah, skull right, right here. There, that I don't know. Okay. Just thought I, I I don't believe it's that one, but it, it's another. I mean, there's... Uh, it, these are only four cranial nerve. There's eight more, right? Oh, right, right. Yeah. I, I, just, I just got these because they're part of the parasympathetic nervous system. So we know they work with the vagal nerve. They go together, right? They, they're part of the same system. So that's what the vagal nerve looks like in a human. So you see when I meant that it's not a straight line and there's all kinds of little branches everywhere, that, I think that looks more like what the nerve is really inside a body. So when people talk about anatomy, yes, the big trunks are always, you can really see the big, like the vaso, uh, the vagosympathetic trunk that the picture that you had on Facebook, uh, the main ones you can see, but there's so many ramifications everywhere, right? It almost looks like tree roots down at the bottom. It does. Yeah. And so just to, uh, yeah, just to be a little bit uh, clearer. So this would be the head, right? It looks, it does look like a head. And then it goes all the way down to the pelvis would be down here. So it goes all the way down to the lower intestine, to the colon. And, and it touches every organ on the way. So that's what it does. It's another illustration in a human body. Again, you see it's all over the throat, the trachea. It touches the heart. It touches the arteries, um, the lungs. Again, for some reason, there's no diaphragm in this body. I don't know why. <laughs> and then it touches the stomach, the liver, the kidney, everything. So, so in general, there are different studies that talk about 80 to 90%. So 80 to 90% of the fibers are actually transporting information from the body to the brain. So it's really a constant monitoring system. That's what it is, right? And then... 20% of the fibers are going downwards. They transform the information from the brain down into the body. So the 90% of the fibers that get their information from the body, they continuously monitor what we do thanks to receptors. And the receptors are located in every organ, and I include the fascia into an organ. So the fascia is a three-dimensional matrix that that it's all over our body, that just gives you your shape, it participates in the support system of the body, and so even though it's not one little organ that looks like a little kidney or a little heart, it's a huge part of the body, and I consider it to be an organ. Um, 
What's very interesting to me, what I think it's really great, is that it uses different kinds of receptors. So it's got chemoreceptors. That means those receptors, those sensors, can sense what chemicals, what enzymes, what hormones are going through the body, um, or, or, um, either the blood vessel. And what's interesting, in the lungs, those receptors, those chemoreceptors, trigger the cough mechanism. If they smell, if they sense that there's a toxic substance that you inhaled, it's going to trigger the cough. So it's that sensitive, that quick. So we have them in the lungs and we have them in the gut too. It analyzes what you ate and it helps the pancreas decide which enzymes to use for it. Then we have the mechanoreceptors, which are the ones that are sensitive to movement. And when, they, when you did the, in the sure foot, in the foot, you have the ones that are sensitive to being stretched and the ones that are sensitive to being squeezed, right? So there's all kinds of, of mechanoreceptors. But in the stomach, when it feels like the stomach is getting distended, most of the time, not in my stomach, but most of the time, it sends a message to the brain that says you've had enough to eat. That feeling of I'm full, it's, it's done through the vagal nerve. Those little receptors say, eh, the stomach is getting stretched, I think we're good. And so that sends the information to the brain that then gives you a feeling of, uh, having eaten enough and normally you should stop eating by then which I don't I'm just training my my stomach to eat more and then they have the same receptors in the diaphragm so when you breathe a lot the brain knows that you're breathing and it knows what you're doing with your diaphragm and we'll talk about the diaphragm in a minute so that you can in more details and then they have the baroreceptors that means receptors that can feel pressure and so these are the ones that you have in your blood vessels and they constantly monitor the blood pressure and they can send messages to the muscles in your veins to either contract or relax to modulate the blood pressure so that you stay within the proper range. So these are some of the things that they monitor. So it's really very complex and absolutely fascinating. I was telling Wendy that my problem was to tone it down because everything I learned, I wanted to learn more about it. So it was, I haven't done much in the last week, but just having fun with this. So we appreciate that, Catherine. <laughs> well, and I, I'll do more. I'm sure I'll do more. So the, um, the other role, so then, is to send information from the brain, once the brain analyzes this data, down to whichever organ they got the information from. So based on the analysis of the central nervous system or Sometimes it doesn't go all the way up there. Sometimes you have like a reflex loop. Like if you step on a, on a pointy thing or on a, on a nail, your foot will go up. So we also have those reflex um, movements that happen. But most of the time it goes all the way back up to your central nervous system. And then the brain decides what needs to be done to, to make sure that you stay within. You know, you were talking about the, 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 the safe area for every, it's different for every organ. The safe oxygen level, the safe uh, blood pressure, the safe gut microbiome, all that is important. Um, and, then, and then there's a feedback loop. So once it sends that information, then you get the monitoring back to make sure that it's, so it's a constant back and forth. Again, there's two systems that are constantly going back and forth to make sure everything functions. So simplifying it is, is losing a lot of what's happening. So people talk about vagal tone because then, you know what, it's part of the question you were asking. So how do I know 
what my horse's or my vagal tone is, how do I know how well my vagal nerve is working? Um, we call that the vagal tone, which is like the health of the vagal nerve. It cannot be directly measured. You can't just measure that. So you estimate it through the observation of the phenomenon that results for its activation. So you see what's happening. And one of the most common measure, it's called the heart rate variability. What that does is it measures the amount of change in the heart that's caused by the breath. So when you inhale and when you exhale, your heart rates are not the same. It changes just a tiny bit. So for example, um, during, let's say your heart rate when you breathe in is 75 beats per minute. And when you breathe out, it's 65 beats per minute. That's an HRV of 10. That's good vagal tone. If it's lower, it's poor vagal tone. So that's what people have been using to try to put a number on the functioning of your vagal nerve. And Catherine, um, heart math, I talked about heart math the other day, and, um, and I know that the guy who created heart math is going to be the keynote speaker at the Feldenkrais Symposium. Um, but is heart math looking at HVR or is it looking at something else? That I don't know. I think they definitely, I think they used a, that they talk about coherence right right a lot and then i think they use the respiratory sinus arrhythmia i think they do use that but i don't know in what exactly in what way okay but i know that they pay attention to that for sure and there are apps on your phone that you can get to me measure heart rate variability um if people are more interested in looking at that for themselves um there's there's a lot of research in humans again at the ises meeting they were finding that heart rate variability in horses is not as good an indicator because the horse's heart rate can vary. It, it can go from resting to accelerated to resting so rapidly that it's not a good indicator of horse of the stress ah. in horses. Yeah, it's, it's um, horses heart rate is crazy uh, yep. fast, really fast <laughs> to switch. Mm. HRV. Oh, oh somebody says HRV is what heart, heart math measures. That's great. Oh, Thank cool. You. Okay, great. Yeah, I figured it had to be at least related, if not the same thing. Yeah. And so, so I don't have a way to measure HRV. So, but there's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of clues to determine somebody's vagal tone, right? The breathing rhythm. You know that the sympathetic system is going to increase the breathing rhythm. You know that the heart rate is going to increase or decrease. Right? So for yourself, you can measure your heart rate. You can measure your breathing. You know when you're stressed, you breathe differently. So we instinctively, I think, take all those cues to determine whether somebody's stressed out or not. We have some ideas. But if you know what to look for, if you look for the breathing, look for the heart, look for the facial expression, because you know the facial nerve is attached to it. So you're not going to look relaxed if you're stressed right? There's, there's differences. The, the blood flow in your skin, the skin coloration, you might look paler, right? Your eyes, of course, are a very big, a very big clue area too. And then in general, the muscle tension, the posture, somebody who is about to fight or flight, it's probably going to be erect and big, right? Somebody who's kind of uh, uh, fainting, it's going to be... So there's a lot of clues that we have that we can determine. You know, it's not precise, but it can give you an idea. And then there's also the five Fs. I think Linda talks about that, yeah. which is fight, flight, fool around, fidget, freeze, or faint. And, and so, there's actually another one that Sharon Wilsey, obvious. <laughs> um, Sharon Wilsey added another one, and that's flock. 
So horses will flock together, they'll herd, ah, right? So right. Um, I've forgotten that one, but um, yes, flock. <laughs> All the ifs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Catherine, you know, I think, can you go back to that slide for a second? Because you know, while people say, well, I can't read this, we're reading this all the time. It's just oh, that we're we reading it on an unconscious level. Um, and again, the pandemic is a great example that you walk into, uh, you know, a convenience store now and you're, you're instantly alert. And so you're in a more heightened state. You're ready. Whoa, do I have to leave this store because I feel really unsafe? Or do I cut, walk in here and, and, you know, feel, okay, everybody feels like they're keeping their social distance. I'm going to be okay. So these are not um, difficult things. These are not things no, that we're unfamiliar no. with. These are things that we innately, and that I think is the key, we innately recognize these things because we have a vagal nerve. And that's right. When we start to realize there, we're doing this all of the time. And the opportunity with the pandemic right now is we get to be more like our horses that are in a more of an alert mode all of the time, whereas we shut, shut off more. But Lately, we don't get to shut off more because there's a lot of things happening in our environment, whether it's fires, whether it's floods, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's you're losing your job or, you, you know, whatever. All of these stresses have put us into a more heightened state with an I'm not safe feeling. And so it's an opportunity right. for us to take the moment to sit quietly and pay attention to our breathing, pay attention to our heart rate. Notice facial expression. Notice flushing. That you cannot control flushing. That's vagal, and um, you know all you have to do is go up to somebody like that, and they're going to flush, right? Mm -hmm. So these are not odd things, and they're not things that are difficult to see in horses. And because someone has said, but there's a difference between horses that have a learned response that shut down and a freezer, which is a reaction to the environmental stress. And I disagree because. The nervous system doesn't differentiate between this is a learned response that's a shutdown and this is an environmental response. The nervous system is is going to either feel safe or not safe and in that way go into the sympathetic, parasympathetic responses. What that person might be alluding to though, is the horses that have become so shut down so often that they cannot come back to normal anymore. Right, and Violet talks about that again. I would, I, I would go back to uh, Violet's webinar, which she would say, you know, either you stay in that flow, or some people, or some folks, for some veterans who have PTSD, for example, they have been in that stress level so long that there's no coming. They don't remember how to get back to normal. So I, I don't know if that person was talking about that when she talks about learned. Does that mean habitual? You know, maybe. And that's, that's what probably the a better point. To. Um, because yeah. I met a stallion that was a Mustang in Colorado, and he had been a stallion for many years. And so he was habituated into a state of uh, flight, bit of freeze, flight, and, you know, alertness, because he always had to manage this band. So you'll see that in nature as well. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. it's it's the how habituated is the pattern is really more the question. And, yeah. Um, that's That can be human-induced, but it can be environmentally induced as well. Yep, yep, and that's what we'll we'll just see all the all the, the causes and the problems. So at the end of this talk, you will have way more questions than you have answers. But at least you'll know which questions to ask. I guess that's my that's the main thing to me. And the one other thing is that um, Catherine's Belgian, so if you're wondering about her spelling of rhythm, <laughs> yes, yes. And if there's anything that uh, oh, how did I spell it? R y t h m. Oh. All right. It's okay. Yeah, I, I did it very late that night, so we'll see. All right. So um, 
common symptoms of low vagal tone, common things, anxiety, isolation, decreased social involvement, low impulse control. Is there any horse you know that's like that? I know some people. Tomato? <laughs> I do too. And then what's, what's the thing that's very, for me, since everything for me has to do with the throat, so the palatal, pharyngeal, and laryngeal paralysis, the swallowing issues, are a very big symptom of low vagal tone. And I'll go a little bit more in detail with it in a minute. And inflammation is a symptom of low vagal tone. Wow. Are hot flashes so a symptom of low these. vagal tone? Oh, I wish they were. They're, <laughs> they're a symptom of, uh, I don't know. Okay, so what I did is I went down the rabbit hole and looked at all kinds of studies with the effects of the vagal nerve on different organs. And what I felt was really cool is that there is a, such a thing as vagal nerve stimulation. So you can actually stimulate the vagal nerve to, through different ways. And through the stimulation, they can then monitor what happens in all kinds of different organs. So they have a way to play with it to see what it does, which is really cool. So there's two ways to do it. The first way is quite invasive. They put something into your neck and connect to the vagal nerve in the neck. And it's a little bit like a pacemaker. It just sends a little bit of an electrical stimulation to your vagal nerve. And it's been used for years for um, depression that will not get better with medicine and with epileptic seizures. So then people get something implanted into them, like the pacemaker, and they can um, modulate. It helps. It's never perfect because obviously, you know, nothing can replace the brain's modulation of it, but it's really helpful. And then it turns out that in humans, and I couldn't figure out in horses, but it's so similar that I want to think it's the same. In humans, the most superficial branch of the vagal nerve is in the ear on the inside of the ear. And so you can do an external vagal simulation that way. So they sell little devices that you put there and it's the same idea, it helps stimulate. And that has been used successfully to decrease inflammation and pain. So there's so many studies on the subject that I didn't want to put all the studies there, really just do a research on those words and you'll be very surprised. There's one that's, that, that I thought was really great. It's this one that I put down here because it's, it was a case where they did a lot of vagal nerve stimulation and saw the effects on all the different parts of the body, which was very, very great. But the inflammation and the pain, it's one of those where they were inflicting pain to, to people and seeing how much pain they can inflict I'm glad I'm not a, a scientist, with and without the vagal nerve stimulation. And there was a significant difference. And there's also, so there was a study about osteoarthritis and people, people's pain coming from the inflammation due to osteoarthritis went away with the vagal nerve stimulation. I think while they were stimulated, I don't know if it lasts afterwards. But so that lets you know that it has a big importance on inflammation and pain. All right, so now let's, let's get a little bit more, talk about body parts, right? So you've seen all the nerves in the face and in the neck, right? So remember you had the, the vagal nerve comes out here and goes down, right? Oops, sorry, you can go back. And then you have the facial nerve and then you have the trigeminal and the ocular motor. With, the, with what we put on our horses' faces, you can imagine that there's a lot of ways 
we can so so uh, we can damage the nerve that could be one thing we can compress the nerve or we can just irritate it right so it doesn't have to be dramatic but it can be a constant irritation and the sensory nerves can get really irritated there was a very interesting uh, case study about a horse who um, while his feet were being done i think by the farrier uh, reared and hit his head backwards came back down and he looked okay he just had a little bruise little bump on the neck he looked fine he acted fine they continued working on the horse five days later he showed up with a problem with dysphagia, which means he was not able to swallow and he had liquid coming out of his nose. Um, so they actually, they brought it to the hospital. They tried to do all kinds of things with it. Finally, when the horse passed, and I think after x-rays, they realized that one of the, the part of the first vertebra had actually broken. He had a piece of the bone broken. And that had damaged the vagal nerve on that side. And so that had caused the dysphagia. So the horse was never able to swallow again. It's a sad story. But then when, when the horse passed, they did an, a necropsy and they realized that it actually had damaged his vagal nerve. At the really, so his break was really right up here, right behind the ear. And the piece of, of bone had moved down to where the vagal nerve, vagal nerve exists, exits the brain stem. And that had damaged the vagal nerve. And it was a, a delayed dysphagia it took about five days for it so probably the time for everything to swell up there and put pressure on the nerve they were never never able to fix it now there was an osteopath in france who'd done quite a bit of study um, about the relationship between tight neck in the horses is working with and ulcers now you know that the vagal nerve has something to do with the acid in the stomach and so if your vagal nerve is tight at the neck level, it has the potential of disrupting the acid in the stomach one way or the other. So we have so many horses that have ulcers, right? And they can be created by stress. They can be created, but let's just think that something on the head, an ill-fitting bridle could create an ulcer, right? I mean, if you think of the possibilities. Um, and, um, if you have... I, yeah, I heard of, uh, I didn't realize this, but horses that have roaring and have to have tieback surgery, um, as I understand, it's more common on the left side because the vagal nerve is so close to the larynx. And it's on both sides. But what's interesting to me is that we do a lot of stuff on the left side of the horse's head, right? right. A lot of the buckles are on the left side, right? If you think of it. Because uh, with your talk with Hillary Clinton, they were talking about trying not to have buckles right there, yep. right? Do you remember in the fitting of the bridle? I wonder if that would have. Also, that brings us to our next slide. At the throat level. So that, that's my history, right? So the first time I, I fit it when I was a baby, and I don't remember that. But the, another time I fit it when I was in my early 20s, I was at the table and I was eating a French fry, which is really hilarious for a Belgian because we're so crazy about fries. <laughs> Didn't you and, create French fries? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And so it was one of those that was cooked a little hard, it had a sharp edge. And as it went down my throat, I could see it scrape. I could feel it scrape my throat on the way down. And before I was down, I fainted. So I know that there's something in my throat that really reacts to the, that really triggers my vagal nerve and my parasympathetic system. Now, in horses, 
one of the things that happens uh, when there's a problem with the vagal nerve is to lose the gag reflex. When, when you scope them, there's no reaction. And so I wanna show you here in humans what happens. So on top, this is a normal, it's the back of your, of your mouth, right? With a little uvula, is that how you call it this one? Yeah, and the tongue here, yep. that's a normal one. And that's what your vocal cords look like normally. That's what a normal. If you have uh, a paralysis of the, of the left vagal nerve, this is what it looks like. And that's what your vagal cords look like. And, and what that would I discovered be similar through, to roaring in horses. Exactly. And in, again, in my own experience, I'm somebody who likes to sing to the top of, the, of my lungs in my car when I drive, when I'm by myself. I really enjoy that. And since I've had that, the last fainting, there's some notes that I cannot sing. If I do, I start to feel like I'm going to faint. So different vibrations in the vocal cords definitely have a difference in, for my nervous system. So I know that it's very clear to me the link between the vocal cords and the vagal nerve. You don't have to tell me about that. I know very well about it. And it's very subtle. I mean, some, some notes are just fine and some notes not so much. So that's what I say when I'm still sensitive to the high-pitched singing. Now, on the other hand, there were a bunch of stories and a bunch of studies. Again, look them up. It's really interesting about the effect of singing the hum during meditation. You know how that is supposed to be relaxing? Well, it just happens to be the vibration of your vocal cords, right? And you create a vibration in the pharynx and in the larynx that then activate the vagal nerve in a certain way that makes it very relaxing. So again, it's another junction between the vagal nerve and the throat. Okay, so now I have a question that's a little off topic, but then is purring affecting vagal tone in cats? It certainly is affecting vagal tone in humans who listen to it, don't I you I know, think? but I'm wondering It's a very it's... calming thing, right? Yeah. But I bet it is. I bet it is. I mean, it's very relaxing. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't realize about that. Oh. Okay. So now we go into what we do with the horse's throat, right? Um, uh, this, uh, this is from the association called um, Allège Ideal, which is a French association that tries to promote a more classical um, uh, dressage back to the French masters. But what they've done is they've done a lot of study about the idea of uh, bending the neck and not go beyond the vertical or go beyond the vertical. You know, in dressage also, there's a lot of, of, of discussions about it. And so they have codified different um, head positions like this, this is HNP1, 2, 4, 5, and 7. So somebody did a study about um, trying to measure the heart rate variability and they didn't seem to have trouble doing it in horses. So it would be interesting to see with what you said earlier. And they found that in HNP2, where the throat is contracted, right, and HNP4, the, H, the heart rate variability decreases, which means the vagal tone decreases. So the stress level, the parasympathetic is, is higher, right? So it's stressful for the horse. Another study um, talked about the fact that in the trachea, when you're in those positions, the diameter of the trachea decreases by 10%. 
Well, and so, I think in a study like this where they're holding their variables consistent and they're doing the same measures, you know, there is some validity in looking at something like heart rate variability. It's, it is so in how you control in this situation, you're controlling your study. So, um, and there was a very interesting study that I would never have thought of. Right. They had a place that had two different arenas. And in one arena, the horse was ridden with a lot of flexion. In the other arena, he was not. And so they got the horses to choose which arena after doing oh. it several times, which arena they wanted to go to, which is a fabulous idea, isn't it? And of course, they all went to the one that had less flexion. That's right. And I think that's a, an even more important and truthful study that you can see that the type of work definitely affects the horse's behavior. That's really fun. Yeah. Cool. So, so again, just let's think about how we think about moving the movement. And if you think, remember, the vagal nerve comes out right there, right? So if you bend the neck, if you decrease the, the dimension of the trachea, the vagal nerve will know that. It's got the mechanoreceptors on it, right? And well, also your vagal nerve is being compressed when you bring it down, right? So all and I think make sense. one of the other factors you have to consider, especially in HN, HNP2, is that when a horse is correctly co collected, not all horses have the same distance between the back of their jaw and their first yes. vertebrae. So some yes, you, you yes. want a nice open throat latch, like two fingers, but some horses are very tight and some horses have parietal glands that when they come into collection, the parietal glands actually puff out because there's not enough yep. room. And so this is one of the things that I think um, in something like this, we also have to consider that the anatomical effects of a horse with a tight throat latch, a narrow throat latch, uh, thick parietal glands, um, and that sort of thing. Um, and you'll see that in breed differences as well. Andy, my, my halfling of pony always had those glands. I could never, it's just not anatomically possible for him to come that far in. Right. Not that I would want to, but it's just Right. And that, that's one of the things to take into consideration. Definitely. So now you get to the level of the diaphragm. I went from the head down, right? So in the diaphragm, you have the mechano and the chemoreceptors because also um, in the lung, and um, you need to be able to, to uh, calculate the level of oxygen that's going in, whether you need to breathe more or less, right? So in the lungs and in the diaphragm, you have those receptors. And um, in the, so the diaphragm is that big muscle that separates your thorax from your abdomen, right? And of course, the stomach is right under the, the diaphragm. So there is a hole in the middle of the diaphragm that the esophagus goes through and the vagal nerve goes through too. So whenever you breathe in and out, you actually squeeze and move your vagal nerve. So there's a lot of studies about the stomach breathing where you use your diaphragm and how it's relaxing, right? So I think a part of the breathing um, the fact that the breathing is reacting has to do with the diaphragm and the vagal tone. So now if you think about horse, guess what? We're sitting on their diaphragm, poor things, right? Basically. And so um, at the walk and at the trot, the horse don't use the diaphragm as much. It's really more the intercostals that are working. But at the canter, it's really the diaphragm that's the main breathing muscle. So if you take that into consideration, so think about it. So an ill-fitting saddle could prevent your horse from moving the ribs the way they want to, which would then get the vagal nerve to get all excited because there's not enough oxygen going in. And so your horse can go into full panic mode 
And it's just because those receptors put him from the safe to the unsafe mode. As you said, once you get into unsafe, it doesn't matter really what the, um, what, what the reason is you get into an unsafe mode. So that's why I'm saying you'll have more questions by the time we end that answers because there's many different ways to trigger it. The good news is there's many different ways to fix it. So if you get a better saddle, maybe your horse will be not anxious all of a sudden and you'll be, why is he not anxious? Well, because it's not getting triggered, right? All right, so then we get to the gut. So the vagal nerve touches every organ in the gut. In the liver, it modulates the insulin secretion, which is pretty crazy. It's a big deal, right? In the, in the liver? Pancreas, yep. Wow. It's part, it's part of the insulin secretion. So they also did with the vagal nerve stimulation. So I would really recommend that you look at that study that's on that, uh, on, on the, it, because it went through everything they did through the gut and through the digestion. And it's just so much, it's way too much for me to talk about it today. It's way beyond the scope, but it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So it's, it's involved in insulin secretion. It's involved in the digestive enzyme, enzymes that your pancreas put in the intestine to help you digest what you ate. In the stomach, and we talked about it, it reports the distension, the distension to the brain. And it regulates the acid production for the digestion. In the gut, it has an effect on the muscles of the gut and it stimulates the motility of the gut, whether things move through smoothly or not. It also has chemoreceptors that help your body figure out what, to, what you're digesting and if it's ready to go. The vagal tone has also been proven to be affected by the microbiome that's in the gut. So all the probiotics you have in the gut, can irritate the vagal tone. And I'm going to go back to my personal thing again, because the last time I finally figured out that the last time I fainted, I had a tick-borne uh, bacteria in my gut that I didn't know about. Once we figured out how that, that's why I'm telling you I'm not going to faint today, because once we figured out that the bacteria was what had fragilized my vagal nerve, we worked on it, and now the nerve is okay. So your horse could be, and we all know that with horses who have Lyme, right? I'm, I'm sure you've had that experience. You have a horse that's fine one day and the next day he's either depressed or hyper. And for me, I know, oh, it's time to give him some more probiotics and to make sure that the Lyme is not sticking its ugly head, right? They can really change their personality and their anxiety just because of the Lyme uh, flaring up, right? I'm sure a lot of people have had that experience. So again, it could be just one bacteria in the gut that totally changes your horse's perception of its environment and of its safety. So again, that's another place where you can help fix it. Right. So the best and the last, what is the connection with the feet, right? So that's my hypothesis. I didn't find any study on that. Um, but I'm going to stop sharing for just a second because I want to remind you, I have a great anatomy book here. If you can ever get that book, it's the ABC of the horse. Wendy told me to get it and she was right. What I love about that book is that it does one muscle at a time. You know, you don't have all those muscles that you have to figure out. But let me see if I can do this properly. All right. This is the homo, the homohyoid muscle. It goes from, your from the horse's shoulder blade to the trachea 
the hyoid, the throat. So even if we just take into consideration that one muscle, when a horse puts a foot on the sure foot pad and it starts to move a little bit, the shoulder blade's gonna move a little bit and that's gonna send some movement up to the throat. I mean, there's just a direct link. So I really think that, um, no, that's the wrong one. And I didn't know she was gonna show that book, okay? Like, <laughs> I import them into the United States, so they're available on my website and they're available on uh, Amazon, but you'll pay more for it on Amazon because I, I charge more there. <laughs> It's really, it's a great book. It's a really great book. Yeah, I love that and book. So, That's why I import it because nobody, I couldn't get anybody else to pick it up. So I just started to have it shipped in because uh, cool. it's, it's. Yeah, so I think you can, they can go on your website to, to get, get it if they want to. Murdochmethod.com right? slash shop. Where you go and yeah. sign up for webinars. So I'm thinking, okay, in the front leg, it's pretty obvious, right? We've got the direct line. I mean, it's not like there's anything in between that can stop it. Now, also, as the horse starts to move, it's going to move its ribs, it's going to move its diaphragm, it's going to move everything. So, of course, all that will have an influence on the vagal nerve, right? The other part of it, I think, tell me what you think, but just when you bring your awareness to your feet and to the ground, you feel a little bit more grounded. And that triggers a feeling of safety too, right? If you feel, especially for a flight animal, not being balanced is a very scary thought, right? So in, this, uh, in, in that frame of mind, I use the sure foot pad when I work on horses to position the leg rather than lifting the leg myself. Because my thinking is, the moment I hold a horse's leg and I lift it, I decrease his sense of, his sense of safety. Because all of a sudden, if he wants to run away, it's going to be a mess. He's going to hurt me. He's going to run. I mean, from the horse's perspective, you took one of their legs away from him to use, right? So what I think is fabulous about the surefoot pads is that if I want to lift one leg a little bit, I can just put it on the pad and then the horse gets the feeling of the leg a little higher if I want to lift the shoulder blade a little bit without losing the balance and the grounding. So I well, think that's another things, part of the pad. Yeah, mm -hmm. one of the things you pointed out to me is that, that in order for the horse to allow you to pick up one foot, he has to brace in the other three legs to stabilize on a tripod. And, yeah. and we had this discussion about uh, doing stretches and things. And, and what I remember you telling me was that by using the surefoot pads, the horse has all four feet and he's still getting mobilization of certain body parts because the shoulder isn't attached by bone and the pad gives. So you get uh, a sense of releasing in the muscles without causing the horse to have to stabilize on three legs. And, and that isn't to say that there isn't a place for stretching. There absolutely is. But this is just another, it's, it's just an, another tool in the kit. Um, but, you know, there's also, to think about. The, um, isn't there a component of vagal that it coming, comes down through the, the rib area or am I, um, where did I see yeah, it? I think it was in the, the dive. Yeah. Of course, right. through the diaphragm and through the lungs, right? Right. It's all over the lungs. So obviously, yeah. And then all over the gut. So it's really everywhere. So, and, and as you know, any movement of one body part requires all the other body parts to change too, right? You cannot just do one. So, um, and just to add to what you're saying, very often when I work on a horse is that they have a problem somewhere. And so if I pick one leg, usually there's another leg that's hurting. And so lifting that leg is even more 
right. stressful because you know it's going to, right? Yeah, so, you're on 50% uh, instead of 75. Yep. That's right. So, so we talked a lot about the internal, and I just want to bring it back a little bit to what Violet was saying, which is the, the, our horses are influenced by our energy and our vagal tone. So sometimes there's nothing wrong with the horse. <laughs> sometimes it's just us, right? So um, this is my daughter with one of our absolutely sweetest, sweetest, sweetest rescue horse ever. And he just has the best vagal tone in the universe. Just looking at him makes me smile. Yeah. So quickly, what tools are available then? And just a summary of what you just talked about. So touch is a way to improve the vagal tone. I don't have to tell you about Tellington Jones touch, the T-touch. And for you, I mean, you know that when somebody, what do we do when somebody's not feeling right, when they're stressed out, you give them a hug, you touch, you know how massages relax and feel good. So the proper touch, and I want to talk about that for just a second, touch is not touch is not touch. Some people love light touch and cannot stand strong touch. Some people love strong touch, cannot stand. So touch is different. And for your horses, it's the same thing. I just worked with a horse who had a very, very anxious, really kind of dangerous. And um, we figured out that what he needed was a certain type of scratching. And when we determine the type of touch he likes, the owner has been able to scratch him everywhere and he's getting more and more grounded and he's switching from an up horse to a very calm horse just with the scratching. So the idea is there is somehow that scratching provided to his nervous system what he needed to feel safe. Who knows? So don't assume that a certain type of touch is okay. Play with it. Uh, movement exercise, what happens when you're stretched out? You go for a walk, right? That relaxes you. Pain relief, of course. If something's hurting, it's going to bring you into a stressed mode, right? So if you can figure out what the cause of the pain is and stop that, of course, that's going to be helpful, right? So all these are pretty obvious, but they all have an effect on the, on the um, vagal nerve. We talked about the proper bridle, the proper fitting of the bridle, the saddle fits so that the idea is you want to make sure your horse can breathe when you're sitting on him or her, right? The nutrition, make sure that you provide the right microbiome for your horse, and that's beyond my thing, but talk to your vet and talk to people who know about that. Um, socializing, it's very important, and it's a part of the parasympathetic system, and we all know that horses are herd animals, so the right type of socializing can make a big difference for a horse. And then your own vagal tone. So there's a lot you can do already to change what's happening in your horse. And um, this is just my information. This is the guy who had the glands so big that you couldn't bend, he couldn't fold his head. Yeah, yeah, come um, on the vertical. <laughs> yeah. And so that's my website. If you have any questions, send me an email uh, website. I'm happy to talk. I'm going to stop sharing. And let's see if there's any questions. Yep. Diane was asking about how you get, like with the horses where you're not going to do leg exercises with them. You still pick up the foot and, and put the pad down and put the foot on the pad. It's just a question. You're not holding up that leg to do leg exercises or anything like that, that the pads can actually right. be the modality that is bringing in the movement to free up the limb as opposed to you uh, moving the limb. And again, there's a time and a place to do like the team leg exercises. And, exactly. Exactly. Right? You I just mean, have to know what you're doing. So just know that when you pick up the leg, there's going to be a little bit of sympathetic going on and that's fine. 
I'm in pretty good sympathetic mode now. I'm having fun, right? Right. So, but if your horse is already super stressed and in a lot of pain, the stretching of the leg will not help him. I guess that's my thinking. And if actually, he's in a there have been horses. When he's relaxed and safe, yes. Yeah. It really depends on, on, on where he is. But just keep that in mind. Again, it's more questions, thinking, okay, I'm picking up the leg. Is it what he wants today or is it not what he wants today? Right. right. And that was my point is that when you're, if you have a horse that is really that uncomfortable, I actually have uh, managed to like, they move their foot and I kick the pad with my foot underneath them at the right timing. That takes a little bit yes. of practice, but yes. you can do it. So um, it's so much, you know, Catherine, I think a lot of this goes back to being able to read our horses and look at them and, and know where they're at. But so much of that is dependent and this is where i loved um tracy vroom's webinar the other day is that we have to be in a place where we're not trying to fix or change but we can get into a clear spot so that we can perceive and be present and therefore read what's in front of us um, sharon calls it witnessing um, tracy you know talked about being present from a shamanic perspective but it's really that same thing that we're we're not running at our horses with an agenda we're really coming at them and and being open to what is what are they presenting to me today and then asking the question if the things aren't okay well let's look at this situation and what things do i observe that i need to address we can't always fix it all we can't always address everything at once and no. we would go crazy if we tried <laughs> nor do you need to i mean i'm sure you're hurting some days too and you're fine with it right yeah. and some days you're stiff and you're fine with it again everything I, i'm hoping that what i got from from this fair now where i said is that you're not looking for the right answer you're looking for the right question right and exactly what you say and trust your gut your vagal nerve is in your gut trust your vagal nerve Trust your gut. As you said, if you step back, if you just don't want to find the answer because there's not one answer, if you step back and you look and you're like, hmm, try. Either it works or it doesn't work. I mean, there's no look at the look at the bridle. Oh, no, that looks good. Look at the saddle. Oh, that looks good. You know, it might be something different. Well, and and um being able to recognize our own vagal tone, our own stress in our own body mm -hmm. before we walk up to the horse to see, you know, am, am I okay before, am I feeling stressed? Because that, the horses are gonna read that so fast. Um, and mm -hmm. somebody's just put up uh, interesting, there's a book by Stanley Rosenberg uh, called Access the ha Healing Power of the Vagal Nerve um, that has exercises for people. I haven't heard of that book. Have you heard of that book? No, I have not. And I have to say, I mean, one of the things, there's a lot of uh, yoga, breathing, meditation, the Feldenkrais method, all these things kind of bring you inside and down and paying attention to what you're doing. And again, if you look at Violet's webinar, paying attention to one object in the room, isn't it? there's a lot of things you can do to bring your vagal tone. And I would really encourage you to look at, to watch uh, yeah, Violet's her, webinar. Her She's webinar got a lot of good stuff in there. And they're on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah and you know, definitely. just the simple breathing exercises of just noting your breath and then taking a moment. There's so much we can do that's really simple. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's important not to make it complicated, to just take oh, one little totally. thing and make it really simple because there's so many avenues into uh, resetting the vagal tone. And that's really, um, uh, you know, we just have to find the one thing that makes it easy for us. And I always say to people, you know, what's the one thing you can do? Not the 10 things, because the 10 yeah. things is overwhelming. But what's the one thing you can do today to make a little difference? And if we just 
keep that in mind. Then we won't get stressed trying to decrease our stress. And so just the idea that even a feeling of anxiety with you think it's a mental thing could come from a physical thing, from a nerve being squeezed somewhere, right? Just the idea that it's not always uh, a feeling because of something on the outside that was bad or awful. Sometimes it could be a really on the inside. little thing. Yeah. Well, Catherine, this has been absolutely fascinating. I'm so grateful to you for doing all that research. I know that sure. um, you really got into it, and I think that's yeah, fabulous. And I'm sure that we'll have you back to, to go deeper into this uh, topic because the more we can understand, A, that we're similar, that the horses have a vagal tone and we have a vagal tone, we have these nerves, they have these nerves, then we can quickly relate because we can use ourselves as the example and as the study. Um, and I think that's really important for people to keep in mind. Yes, Marianne, there is hope. Somebody says, yeah, there's hope. So there's hope. Yes, there is hope. Yep. So <laughs> thank, thank you, you everybody. And thank you, Catherine, for tuning in. Just remember that to subscribe to the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel so that you get a notification every time we put up a webinar. I'm a little late putting up yesterday's webinar, but I'll get it up today before I put this one so they stay in order. Um, and um, just remember that I'm going to be taking a break from September uh, after Becky Tenge's um, webinar, which I believe is on the 16th, until the, the uh, beginning of October. It's after that first weekend in October. Um, so you can catch up on the webinars. And of course, uh, always remember to just take a deep breath as you go out to see your horse in the paddock and um, have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you, Bye -bye. Catherine. Bye.